Well, good morning. We want to welcome you to Reston Bible Church today and kind of a almost happy new year and uh, hope that you and your family had a wonderful Christmas season. Today we are wrapping up a short three-part series. The series title is The Arrival of the King. And last Sunday, Christmas Eve morning, uh, we did a sermon entitled The King is Coming and we walked through some of the Old Testament anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Christmas Eve, traditionally later in the evening, we covered the king has come, the arrival of the Christ child. And today our message is the king is coming again. I've done a lot of different New Year's messages, kind of wrapping up a year, looking forward to a new year. And I think there's nothing more appropriate as we look to the new year than the anticipation of the coming of Christ again. No matter when that happens, the community of Christ has always been called to live with a sense of anticipation. Now, I hope that you're in this kind of time period, you're doing some evaluation, you know, what 2023 looked like, what went well, what didn't go well, what you can control, what can't you control, and then look to the future with some thoughts of things that you'd like to see happen in a new year, whether it's spiritually, personally, whether it's relationally with your spouse or children or friends or coworkers or whatever it happens to be. And that you're, you set some goals and so forth. That's wise. We're not going to talk about that specifically today. But in the, the context of the anticipation of the return of Christ and a sense of urgency about that. Today we're going to talk through three points related to the coming of Christ. And then we're going to talk about three applications or encouragements as we walk out the door today. And consider how should we live differently in 2024 as we anticipate the return of Christ. But at the end of the day, the end of the story is that our blessed hope is the certainty that Christ is coming again. He is coming. And the church has always lived with that anticipation. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 say the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. That's the first coming of Christ. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for, here it is, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, for a more full and extensive treatment of the issue of hope, In September, we kicked off a six-week series on hope where we really, really talked about the whole dynamic of that and all the different elements and encourage you if you missed that to go back and listen to it, especially if as you round the corner into the new year, hope is something you could really use because of the challenges of your own life. Now, regardless of how you see the end times, regardless of what your eschatology is, your theology of the end of the world and so forth and so on, all followers of Christ agree that he's coming back. All followers agree that he's coming back. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So three thoughts, three points about that, and then three applications. The first one, and we've already said it, but I want to unpack it a little bit more, is that Jesus is coming again. That is point number one, and it is throughout the entire scripture. All the scripture supports the reality that we serve a God who is coming back for us. The Old Testament gives us assurance of this. One of the verses is found in Zechariah 14. Written about 500 BC, so we've been resting on this for 2,500 years. 
On that day, his feet, that is Jesus' feet, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. On the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to the west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, it is our hope that in the fall of 2024, we're rescheduled to take our trip back to Israel that didn't make it this uh, past fall because of the unfortunate war that's happening there. And it's our prayer that things settle down, that God brings peace to that region and we're able to go. If you were able to join us, one of the things that we will do is we will stand on the Mount of Olives and we will look down the hill. We'll see the Garden of Gethsemane down to the, to the right. We'll see the Kidron Valley as that dips down and then rises up to the Temple Mount. The exact path that Jesus took in his first triumphal entry into that area on the back of a donkey declaring that he was indeed the reigning king of the Jews. When he comes back, he's going to stand in that very same place. And I got to tell you, to be able to review these scriptures and think through it and pray through it, if, if it doesn't bring chills to you and a tear to your eye, then you don't understand what's really happening here. That this is the place. As I've said many times, as we're traveling around the, the Holy Land, I, I might ask the guide, well, is this, are we certain that this is the place that, that this happened? And he says, looks at me like I'm nuts. He's like, this is the place. There's no other place. There's no other Mount of Olives. When Jesus comes back, this is the place. You can count on that. Jesus gave us assurance that he was going to return. Building on the Old Testament in John chapter 14, Jesus says to those who are following him and those who will ultimately follow him years and years down the road, that's you and me. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Of course I wouldn't do that, but I did. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And we know that we don't know when that's going to happen. We are to live with anticipation, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. You know, as a kid growing up, my dad worked for the Philadelphia Gas and Electric Company my whole life. He started out as the classic blue-collar worker digging ditches, laying pipe, and then he moved to an inside job. He was a trouble dispatcher. And so whenever there were problems with gas and electric in the community, he would assess and send the men out. Sometimes at great risk of their own lives. I can remember many times during a storm when the power would go out, dad would call, today we call it a landline. Back then that's all we had. And he would say, is the power on at the house? As he's trying to assess what's in and what's out. No, dad, we're out. Or yes, dad, we're on. You see, my dad, as a trouble dispatcher, he worked shift work. He worked all three shifts on a rotating basis. And we never actually knew. We never knew, like, what's dad working this week? You know, when we lived in a small Cape Cod, when you walked into the front door, there was no foyer. You just walked in and you were in the living room. And in our small house, we didn't have a living room that was kind of the nice place. And then the family room where everybody kind of hung out, we had one place. It was a living room and we lived there. And my dad, when he would, was kind of coming off of a shift or getting ready for a shift, he was a big napper. And he was a traditional man and he had his easy chair in the corner of the living room. And if you were sitting in it, when he walked into the room, you got out of it. You didn't need to be asked. It's just the way it happened. And dad would always nap in his easy chair in the living room. I don't know why he never actually went to bed. 
to nap, but this was the place. And so as kids, we were always like, is this the nap time? Is this the he's working time? Is this the he's sleeping to get ready to go to work time? And we were always a little bit off kilter with what the plan of the father was. And as it is with Jesus, he said he's coming back. Ah, but we're never really quite sure when that's going to happen now, do we? We always live with anticipation. Well, not only did the Old Testament give us assurance and Jesus himself gave us assurance, other areas of the New Testament gave us assurance as well. And if you go to Acts chapter 1, you read this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, that's Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, here it is, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Just like you saw it, he's coming back. And followers of Jesus Christ have this commission to take the message of Christ to to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth until he comes back. You know, the Bible tells us that the gospel message will spread to the whole world and then he'll return. You know, we are seeing that happen in greater measure more quickly than ever before. Many of you, and we're thankful that you did, participated in providing the resources to translate the Bible into another language for another people group around the world. And as we were talking to the seed company and their people, what they told us is that because of AI, we are much better able now, more quickly, to not only interpret into another language, but to create a written language that's never been created before, and then be able to train those people in their own language and then teach them and give them a Bible. Even here, one of our tech people was able to take two minutes of one of our pastors speaking... And then feed into the AI process a whole nother paragraph of messaging and have AI create that messaging with this pastor's voice. The amount of things that we're able to do with AI today, well, it's actually a little scary in some ways, but it's powerful in others. And the world more quickly than ever before is receiving God's word as we seek to take the gospel to the uttermost point of the earth. Not only does the Old Testament give us assurance and Jesus gives us assurance and areas of the New Testament give us assurance. There's another one with the Apostle Paul, one of the primary writers of the New Testament. It's back to our verse in Titus that we mentioned a little bit ago. That we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's my hope that as we round the corner into a new year, that you live with a sense of eager anticipation as saints of all time have done waiting for his arrival. Three thoughts about the arrival of Christ. First, Jesus is coming again. Number two, number two, not only is Jesus coming again, but the reality is that no one knows the day or the hour the Bible tells us. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, 
but the Father only. Now, we don't understand exactly how this worked, but Jesus in his humanity chose to have his ability to know certain things veiled for a time. So when Jesus was speaking these words, he didn't know when he was coming a second time. Only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. That's a little scary, actually. I mean, people were just living life and were caught off guard. And again, in our application section, we're going to get there in just a few moments one of the major encouragements is, please don't be caught off guard. You don't need to be. Just because we don't set dates, it's a closely guarded secret, doesn't mean we can't be prepared. But, oh, you know, people have been setting dates since the beginning of it all, wondering when's it going to be. You know, I remember in my younger years as a child, I remember Jim Jones from the People's Temple, the cult leader, saying that the end of the world was going to be in the 1960s. It wasn't. And then the famed killer Charles Manson said that there was going to be a worldwide race war in the 60, late 60s that brought the end of all things. It didn't happen. And then there are other groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses who said that the end of the, end of the world was going to come in the 1970s. Here we are. But it gets a little bit more troubling because there have even been many otherwise well-respected leaders who have gone down the world of predictions only to be embarrassed by having done so. Hal Lindsey, the writer of the late great planet Earth, who was very popular in the 70s when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, said that the generation from the founding again of Israel in 1948, that generation, and generation is considered 40 to 50 years, would be when Christ was to return. We, it is now 70 years plus. Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel, an otherwise very well-respected denomination nationally, felt the same thing, that the generation living from the, the reconstitution of Israel was going to be the final generation. Jerry Falwell, founder of Liberty University, and Tim LaHaye, a prolific writer on many, many things, focused on Y2K. You remember that? Y2K, we were, it was going to hit 2000 and everything was going to go haywire. And it didn't. It didn't. By far, one of the most prolific predictors of the end of the world was a gentleman by the name of Howard, Harold Camping. Harold predicted the rapture was going to occur on September 9, 6th, 1994. And then it was September 9th, 1994. And then it was October 2nd, 1994. And then it was... March 31st, 1995. And then he took a break for about 16 years. And then he said there were going to be earthquakes and the rapture was going to occur on May 21st, 2011. And my recommendation to Mr. Camping is when you see yourself in a hole, stop digging. Right? Why do I say all this to you? Because the efforts at predicting when this is going to be are going to continue. Whether it's through blood moons or eclipses or the alignment of the stars or the action of nations or some numerological code written within the Bible that we need to figure out, the predictions of Christ's return are going to continue. 
And we just need to knock it off because the Bible says we're not going to know. We're not going to know. Can we lean in a direction? Can we see the signs coming together? Yes, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Number one, Jesus is coming again. Bank on it. Number two, no one knows the day or the hour. That's true. And then third and finally, today regarding Jesus' return, he will reign over all things when he does. The Bible tells us that every knee, there will, no one will be exempt. Every knee, whether they love him or not today, whether they know him or not when he returns, every single knee, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Philippians chapter two, one of my favorite passages in the Bible talks about the incredible humility of Jesus just coming in human flesh to begin with. Oh, but then it goes on in that same chapter to say this, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's going to happen. It will happen. I'd love to see it happen in my lifetime. Do I know if that's going to be? No. Should I live like it's going to be? Yes. Absolutely. Well, God is sovereign over all things. And this all is going to happen. At this time, there is a prince of this world who runs things here. God is sovereign over all of that. But there's a God of this world, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a God that is Satan, if you will, little g, who rules in this world. And what he does, his primary job is to, since he can't conquer Jesus, he seeks to either immobilize us or blind those in the world. Those are his primary goals. And when I look and see what's happening in our world and I go, how can people believe that? How can people buy into that? How can otherwise intelligent people embrace that kind of thinking? And people ask me that question. Pastor, what is happening? I have one answer. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. You see passages in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit kind of came upon this whole situation and this army started, were kind of influenced to actually turn on each other. You're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. How could that possibly have happened? Well, that could easily have happened if people are living the way and believing ways that they're doing so today. The enemy has blinded the eyes of people in this world. And we are living in challenging times. Those nations 
that have previously been significantly influenced by the gospel that historically have lived with Judeo-Christian standards of morals and ethics are under decline. Look at what's happening in Europe and take note. It's coming here more and more. The places where the gospel is actually making greater inroads are those nations where the oppression is the greatest. Not where the whole country, not where the leadership are leading the way in the way they live for the things of Christ. And I believe that we are globally under decline, even though places the gospel is making inroads. Three things today about the return of Christ. Always remember that Jesus is coming again. Number two, always remember that no one knows the day or the hour. Number three, Jesus will reign over all things. And with this in mind, with these three realities about the return of Christ, the question then becomes, how shall we then live? As we walk out of here today, as we seek to move into 2024, what should undergird the way we live in this world with all that's going on? Three things for you today related to that. Number one, although we do not set dates, we always should be assessing the times. We should always be assessing the times. And this has always been a challenge for the church. The Bible tells us that we are to be innocent as doves, And shrewd as a serpent. And we seek to be innocent as doves. And oftentimes we're just like, la, 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 la. You know, walking through life oblivious to what's happening. Because we are not shrewd by reading the signs of the times. Which is always why I encourage us to study our culture and study the Bible. As we do that together, we are more effective in seeing the culture through our biblical lens. Luke chapter 12. He also said to the, he said, also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the West, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the South wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Of course, he was talking to the religious people of the day. You can do all sorts of predicting. You can look to the future. You can assess what's happening. But I'm here. You're looking at what's happening, but you are not effectively assessing the signs of the times. The Bible tells us that there will be wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes and all kinds of things that we should use as assessment tools that we are moving deeper and deeper into the time of the return of Christ. First Chronicles 12 says men of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And it's our hope and our prayer that here at Reston Bible Church, we will always be a staff in leadership and a church who accurately assesses what's happening in the world and responding appropriately. And it's getting harder and harder to do just that. With social media and all kinds of things, our ability through a variety of means, including AI, to deceive. There's a lot of deception happening today that has never occurred before. And the ability to continue the deception through these mechanisms. And we need to be more wise than we've ever been before. 
1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And more and more we see people, pastors and high-profile leaders, musicians, whoever they might be, deconstructing their faith. And we see this more and more. We see ungodly living. One of the greatest symptoms and signs of moving into the end times is the devaluing of human life. We see the devaluing of human life globally like never before. But understand this, Paul says to Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, and conceit with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And let me say this. I believe that one of the greatest indicators that we are moving into the end times is the issue of globalization. God has always been opposed to globalization. Go back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. They said, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, and then God says, no, you won't. And he scattered them. And ever since, human beings have sought to globalize, whether that was through a tyrannical reign of a king that tried to encompass the entire known world. We are seeing a globalization of a type that we have never seen before. We have never seen before. Never, never in the history of humankind did we have a virus that impacted the literal entire world. Literally, never. We have impacts of all sorts of things, whether it's the global markets, you know, uh, something happens in an obscure country clear across the world and your 401k tanks. You're like, how can that possibly happen? Because we are more globally connected than ever before. And the reality of the globalization is an indication because what this means is everything becomes human focused and not God focused. Last week I joked about the reality of our ability now to put a chip in human beings and you can walk in certain companies, few in number, but it's growing, where you can walk into the, the snack shop and use your wrist to scan the, the vending machine and get your Doritos if you want. We are rapidly moving in the direction of a cashless society, a globally connected financial system. Am I making a prediction? No, I'm not. I'm assessing the realities of the world in which we live. And one of the greatest movements toward the return of Christ is the globalization of mankind. We're going to talk more about that in the new year. Number one, assess the times. In your preparation, assess the times. Number two, be prepared. Number two, be prepared. Let me ask you this. If Jesus were to come back in 2024, would you be ready? Would you be ready? What do you want Jesus catching you doing when he comes back? Let's reverse that. What do you want him 
not catching you doing when he comes back. We ought to be about eliminating from our lives the things we don't want him catching us doing and increasing the things in our lives that we would like him to catch us doing when he comes back. Part of our preparation is living lives in such a way that when he comes back, we're like, yes, he caught me doing the right stuff. Now, again, it doesn't mean activity necessarily. If Jesus came back this afternoon and you're just hanging out with family and loving on your spouse and kids or hanging out with friends or whatever it is, that's a fine thing to be caught doing when he comes back. But those with our identity in Jesus Christ need to be focused on the things that matter to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a fascinating story that few of us understand because we don't really understand weddings in the first century. But let me unpack this a little bit for you out of Matthew chapter 25. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be like, similar to, this is an example, a metaphor, 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now in the first century, the bride was at her home. And when you see virgins here, think bridesmaids. Kind of the best analogy. And the bridegroom, the groom would come to the bride's house. He would pick her up and her entourage. And they would make their way to his house. And it would be after dark. They would need their lamps. Well, the bridegroom didn't tell them when he was coming. They needed to be ready for his arrival. And in this illustration, in this metaphor, Jesus is saying that five were ready and five weren't. Five weren't paying attention. They didn't know when he was going to come. And then when he came, they weren't ready. And then the the five that weren't ready had to go find oil. They needed their lamps to parade through with their procession through town to his home. Afterward, the other virgins came also after they got their oil saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, here it is, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We don't know when he's coming. And part of assessing the times in which we live helps us to feel a sense that we need to be prepared. Matthew twenty four fifty, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. That's the foolish servant who's ill-prepared. And so my encouragement to you today is, is this, is to plan into the future as if Jesus isn't coming back for a while. Plan. Look to the future. Do what you need to do for yourself and your family. You have financial matters and other things to plan. Continue to do that. Plan as if Jesus isn't coming back for a while. Live, however, as if he's coming back this afternoon. Plan as if he's not coming for a while. Live as if he's coming this afternoon. Which brings us to point number three in our application as we seek to understand how we live as we walk out of the doors today. Number one is assess the times. Number two is to be prepared. And number three is to live with a sense of urgency. Live with a sense of urgency. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what it means to be prepared and live with a sense of urgency. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything you're doing today for Jesus, whether it's taking care of the mundane, whether it's working with your children or taking care of daily activities faithfully unto the name of Jesus Christ, you are laboring, but not in vain. Starting next week and for the first several weeks of the new year, we're going to be doing a series on rest. We're going to talk about how on the seventh day God rested. Why did he do that? Was he tired? No. We're going to talk about the implementation of the Sabbath. What was was that all about? We're going to talk about, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be our Sabbath rest? What does that mean? One of the reasons we're going to do it is because I think that many of us just need a little bit of rest. Could you use some rest today? We're going to talk about that. Our family, extended family Christmas that was supposed to be on Friday was canceled. My mom and several, a couple other family members ended up with COVID. And we're like, yeah, we're not coming. Um, And I called my mom yesterday and I said, so mom, how are you doing? Are you just going to lay around and, you know, kind of, she's like, no, no, no. You can't, you know me. I, I I just can't sit still. And I'm like, mom, you're 85. Can you just be sick? It's okay. You don't have to accomplish anything. Most of us live with a sense of urgency, but to us means that means activity. And somehow in the journey and the rhythms of life, which we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, finding rest, finding that appropriate effective rhythm, doesn't mean we don't have a sense of urgency. We should. But a sense of urgency doesn't mean we have to be doing all the time. Do you live with a sense of urgency that Jesus could come back at any minute, at any time? Last week I was on the stair machine at the gym and a young guy stepped onto the stair machine next to me and I kind of did my quick assessment, you know, running through my classics question starters for conversations with people in the gym. He was young. I'd never seen him before. I was guessing he was home from college. And so I said, so, hey, I've not seen you here before. Uh, Are you home from college? He's like, yep. Goes to JMU. He's a sophomore, same college as my son. And I said, where did you go to high school? He said, I went to to, uh, Parkview, which then led to, oh, have you ever heard of First Fruits? which is our church-wide outreach that meets, starts out at, at Parkview. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I know, I've, I've heard all about that. Well, I'm part of the church that, le- oh, you are. And it just kind of went from there. And before you know it, after a 30-minute, through a 30-minute conversation, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Invite him to ch- 